morning. Ira said I only had 15 minutes, so we need to get started. So let's go ahead as you come on in, we'll open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here, Lord. You bless us, Father. We thank you for that. Thank you for like-minded believers that we can fellowship with. Thank you for the truth that is preached here at this church. And Father, we know that you're doing a work in each heart this morning, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week, my wife and I had the privilege to go to Leavenworth Thursday and Friday, came back Saturday, went to a Christian heritage uh, marriage retreat up there, and um, I think we've been up there a few times for similar events, other marriage retreats. Most of the time, I don't know how it is for you guys, but I go to a retreat or... Um, you know, hear a teaching, and then I come home, and a lot of times that manual or that booklet, you know, gets put in the drawer and or goes on the shelf, kind of gets forgotten about. And so, you know, I thought, fortunate or unfortunate for you guys, I'm going to review this stuff because I need to hear it again. And, uh, you know, there were some good points, so I, I guess we could title this uh, Marriage Retreat Musings. Um, and because there was just a reminder of some wonderful things as it relates to marriage, and I thought I would just share a few of the notes that I had. And the first one, uh, Mr. Eric Ludi was his name. Uh, Eric, throw a blank. Eric and look at that. Eric and Leslie Ludi. Some of you have heard of them. They have a ministry out of Colorado, and they've written a bunch of books on marriage and and whatnot, travel, and, and so. But he shared, first of all, that marriage, as a lot of us have heard, is that Christian marriage is a picture of the gospel. If you think about it, what is all of our culture built on? What is all of our, you know, you start at the very top end. What is a successful nation? How is a successful nation built? Well, it's accumulation of successful communities, correct? What, what makes a successful community? Well, it's a, it's a accumulation of successful families. God, you know, built families. And you take it all the way down the line. Well, how does all of that start? It all starts by Christian marriage and marriages that are, that are successful and that are grounded in him. So because of that, the enemy knows that as well, doesn't he? He knows that, that marriage is the, is the foundational block of all of society and all of all of a, of a nation, of a culture. And so his efforts are to diminish that and, and really to, to tear that up. As we've seen in our, in our society, um, there, there's marriages, you know, they're flaming out everywhere. And some of us know some of those. Um, but that's not God's intentions, is it? And so, and even for some of you in here that are single, you might go, what's this matter to me? We're talking about marriage. Well, celibacy is a is a rare calling, so it's very likely at some point you will be married. And so hopefully you'll get some of this. But how do we do this? God has given us the grace for godly marriage. The challenge is, is are we going to do our marriage through Adam or through Christ? We, have, we really have two choices, right? We can live out and try to do this thing called marriage in our own strength, or we can humble ourselves and trust God and say, Lord, I need your help, and you help me to live out this marriage. 
Many of us have tried it to do it, tried to do this in our own strength. Let's read a couple of ver, uh, verses here. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us <clears throat> from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So there's a grace available to us in our marriages. Looking at another one, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So God has given us the power, hasn't he, in our marriages. He talked a little bit about the power of reckoning, and I, I, think, I, I know at least one verse that talks about reckoning, where I think it's in Romans, where Paul says, I reckon myself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. But that reckoning is a term, it's really an accounting term. You think about reckoning on a balance sheet, or you're, you're making the, the numbers align. And really, what it simply means is taking into your account what God has already done for you. So the reality is, is that God has given us the grace to be married. God has given us the grace to live godly in Christ Jesus. But we really can't do it on our own. It took me a long time to figure that out. I had to hit my head a lot of times to finally figure it out. Man, I cannot do this. I cannot be a good husband. I cannot live godly in and of myself. Some are faster learners than others. Another session, he talked about the endless frontier. Eric Ludy described how in the early part of his career, his wife and I, they actually were singers. They spent time singing together. And I think even to the point to where early on, they actually had taken voice lessons. And I know he, he indicated that he actually for like a year, maybe a year and a half, took voice lessons from one of the top three or top five voice, what do you call them? Uh, coaches, yeah, voice coaches in, in, the, in the world. He said this guy he was kind of short and kind of squatty and you know, kind of waddled and everything. And anyway, so the guy originally told him, if you're going to do this, we're going to do this like six hours a day nonstop. But we're going to do it for a year. You've got to be committed. And he said, you know, I look back and I averaged like two and a half hours a day spent with him. And every time I went in there with him, he was always mad at me. He was always like, you know, he was always frustrated because obviously he knew what it took to, to, to excel at a very high level in singing and music at a professional level. Eric said this, his teach, teacher, his coach, never once complimented him. And, but he knew he was growing. He knew he was getting better. He knew his skills were growing. And it got to the point, I think it was close to after a year, he finally, finally got up the nerve to ask his coach. He says, so how am I doing? I forget exactly how he described it, but he said his coach... I think it indicated that he was probably better than 99% of the people out there. But he said, in reality, you've taken one step into an endless frontier of music. Don't plant your tent on it. So he really wasn't complimenting. He was more just telling him, hey, you have just taken one small step into an endless frontier, which means there was, there was the world still to go for him as it related to his music discipline. What he conveyed to us in this teaching was that marriage is a lot like that endless frontier. Sometimes we think, hey, 
man, I've gotten somewhere, I've had some success, and in reality, well, and, and, and there's a temptation maybe to, to kind of pop up our tent and kind of camp there a little bit. I mean, I'm kind of at that point, you know, my kind of got my kids are kind of, they're doing good, right? My young kids, my older kids, and man, I think I could probably just camp out a little bit right here. It seems like things are good with my wife and I, and yet we're called to keep going. It's an endless frontier. It's not, God wants to do so much more in our marriages. It's not just about reaching a level of comfort. It's not just about reaching a level of success for ourselves. I would even think maybe for those who are a little bit further along than some of us in their marriages, maybe you've reached that point to where your, your kids are moved out, you know, they're, they're gone, and, and you might think, well, man, whew, I can finally relax a little bit. The kids are out of the house, you know, grandkids come over every now and then, but really there's no, there's no retirement, quote, retirement in the Christian faith, is there? And even as our, as our marriages, there's really no retirement. We need to keep going. If nothing else, for the generation that's following us that needs to see that. We need to see the godly examples. I need the elderly generation to keep pressing forward in their marriages. There are those that are probably watching my age group going, hey, we need some examples here of how to do this thing called marriage. So God has given us the grace. God has called us into this endless frontier. Um, one thing you mentioned is where, one thing that separates a successful marriage, a godly marriage from every other marriage is where do you put the cross? Uh, man, that, that's good. Where do we put the cross at? Is the cross in the middle of our marriage? Are we, are we pursuing God? Or is the cross over here kind of on the side? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I love God. But as it relates to my wife, you know, we have a gun pointed at her under our jacket. Kind of, we're like, you know, but God, I'm good with you. Well, the cross needs to come right over here in the middle, does it not? When you have the cross in the middle, it's hard to look at your spouse without looking at the cross and getting this reflection of ourselves, of who we really are without our Savior. And I know for me, it seems like that's when my, my marriage, and I'm sure a lot of you could attest to this, is when your marriage excels is when you're looking to Jesus and you're looking through him. And what that obviously shows us is it's a mirror of who we are without him. But obviously we see who we are with him in the word of God. And so, a couple more things. Uh, you know, we talked about the principle of manure. You know, as farmers, we understand this. We put, uh, we put fertilizer on. Now, a lot of our fertilizers, unless you're growing organic, are synthetic fertilizers. They don't have the aroma that some of the organic fertilizers have out there. But we've smelled some of those organic fertilizers. We had a neighbor put one on organic field next to our, next to our asparagus field here a couple years ago. And... Um, yeah, it, it, would, it would gag a maggot. It was that bad. I mean, it was, you know, and then, you know, he called me and kind of complained about some of the trash that was in water bottles that were kind of getting into his field. And I said, that's fine. We need to go pick them up. But, you know, I never told him, hey, I got to hold my breath every time I drive by your field. Otherwise, I turn green. But what's manure about? Manure is, is part of fertilizing a crop. It's part of having a successful crop. And part of that, the concept there is that God, sometimes we think that pain is a bad thing, the pain and strife, and yet I'm finally convinced that pain is a, is a natural part of life. And even if you have a good marriage, God is going to allow things to happen in your marriage. God is going to allow pain to happen in your marriage, if nothing else, for you, so that you change and you grow. I know I've needed it. 
But the reality is, is how do we deal with those situations? How do we deal with those things that are, we would kind of look at and go, man, that's just kind of like manure. I don't like that. I don't like that pain. Are we running and trying to figure it out? figuring out how to deal with that through Adam, through our, our own strength, or are we running to the cross? And really, the cross is the great converter, right? There's things in the soil that process the manure to break it down so all the nutrients are available to the plants and the crop. And that really is what the cross is for us as Christians, is the cross is that converter. Those situations in our lives, it breaks those down to where we respond in the right way, and what comes out of us is, is change and blessing and life. Kind of jump to the last part. The last part um, he covered was really about humility. You know, he said pride in a marriage will explode a marriage. And I think all of us, if, if as men, most of us, if we're really honest, we're like, yeah, I can relate to that. You know, pride in my marriage has really not done anything, anything good for it. But yet humility will heal a marriage. Some scriptures on that. If you look at Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Psalms 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 66, 2, for all these things my hand has made and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. So marriage, marriage is beautiful. Marriage is a wonderful thing. I think many of us in here could attest to that. But it's also God's plan to help show the gospel to the world. And part of that means it doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be pain-free. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hard things, but there's going to be extreme joy. I think the, the key I, I've, I'm learning is that um, is humility. You know, learning to hear my wife, learning to say, Lord, show me those areas. Show me the areas I need to change. You know, it's kind of funny. I kind of gotten to the point where I feel like I can go to marriage conferences, I can go in there, and kind of in my mentality, I'm, I can go in there and put my arms back and kick my feet out. Hey, we're here for the conference, and this is good, you know, and thinking back, like 10 years ago, man, we went to these, it was painful, you know, it was hard, strife, mostly because of me. You know, and uh, to feel like, hey, we've gotten somewhere, you know, and then you get to the second day, and you sit down and you're enjoying the town and it's beautiful and you start having kind of a one-on-one -on -one with your wife and all of a sudden she reveals some things to you. You know, the challenge is, is how do we hear those things? And, and, and my temptation is still I'm working through hearing those, thinking, oh man, I'm a failure of a husband. You know, the word's like, I see a pattern here. And I think, <laughs> okay, that's my whole life. Well, no, it's not your whole. You know, it's just something we need to address. But you know what? God is good. He's faithful. And even if we don't initially resp respond in the correct way all the time, 
The question I have to ask myself, and I think men, we have to ask ourselves, am I hearing what my wife is trying to say? Or am I just hearing what I hear? Am I just hearing old patterns? Or am I, just, am I willing to listen and hear what she's trying to say and hear her heart? I realize often I don't. Often I don't give her that time. And often I get into fix-it mode to where I want to think, what's, what's the answer real quick to fix? Well, there's not always a quick fix. Sometimes I just need to listen. Sometimes I just need to let her share. And so... That's just a little bit about what I got. Um, hopefully that blessed you in some way. Um, but the truth is, guys, we are all in this together. If you're married, if you're hoping to be married at some point, you know, marriage is awesome. It is wonderful. It is God's plan to help evangelize the world because we can't really have a great nation, great cities, great government without great marriages. So let's go ahead and have the worship team come on up and we'll, we'll go ahead, let's go ahead and stand and we'll pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to, um, Lord, to be here, to be here as families, as couples, as married people. Lord, we know that you are doing a work in us. And uh, Lord, just as you touched my life the last few days with your word, with truth, I pray that, Lord, each one in here would be challenged to, to realize that you are doing a work in our marriages, God, and that you want to do more. Lord, that you don't want us to camp out where we're at, but you want us to press forward. Lord, I thank you that we don't, we really don't have the strength in and of ourselves, but I thank you that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and you've made a way through your son, through running to the throne, and through your cross, Lord, that we can live and have godly marriages. And so we praise you for this now. May you be glorified through the word, through the worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again, and welcome. I uh, am still walking played a game of basketball on Friday night, and it's been a long time since I've done that, but everything still works, so I'm excited. It's good to be back. I appreciate Brian last week filling in for me and sharing the word. Um, we did have a good time, and I, we did really do not much of anything. We did a little bit of hiking and some reading, and it was just very relaxing, so I uh, appreciate uh, the time to get away. We're going back to Ephesians this morning, and Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to try to get through the whole chapter of Ephesians. It seems like the first three chapters of Ephesians kind of repeat themselves over and over and over and over, and uh, then once we move to chapter 4, we seem to get into a little bit more life application, but it doesn't mean they're any less important, so Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective work of his power. 
To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray that as we read it, as we look at it, talk about it, discuss it, I just pray that you would give us the words to hear that you have for us. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. So chapter 3, what it's doing in, in Ephesians is kind of finishing the doctrinal foundation needed to move on to practical application. So without this foundation, it's really kind of hard to move on to the practical application that he's going to, to put forth if we don't understand the foundation of what's going on. And I really, uh, Zach, what you shared actually goes along quite well with what I'm going to share this morning. Uh, and I didn't talk to him, so I had no idea what he was going to share. But that's the God that we serve. And he organizes things and he puts things together that we can just share. We come and share our heart. We serve the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he brings these things together. But the foundation that Paul is talking about is important. If we can't grasp the foundation, how can we apply anything to our lives? Normally, we do have children's church, uh, and, and you want to talk about a place that the kids get a basic foundation of Scripture. It starts at home. It starts with the parents. It starts with the families, giving the foundation. And then maybe we come here, maybe we go to church, uh, uh, to school, a private school or home school or whatever it is, and that foundation continues to get built upon. Can't stress enough how important that foundation is. But you know... Some people, not everybody have that foundation. But it doesn't mean that we can't. It doesn't mean that we can't still establish that foundation. Because it's never too late to start working on that foundation. But this foundation is so, so important to what, to how we live. To how we know what to do. To how we know what's right and what's wrong. If we didn't start with the foundation, we have nothing to build on. Are we willing to take the time 
And this can be as parents or even as adults for ourselves. Are we willing to take the time to ensure a solid foundation? Because this is where it starts. This is what's important because we have a foundation and then we can have something we can stand on. If we don't have a foundation, we don't have anything we can stand on. And what is it going to be? What are you going to base your foundation on? And I want to base my foundation on the word of God. It's right here. You don't know what to do. You're not sure where to go. Go to the word. Go to the word. Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 24 through 29. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. We've been talking about the mystery of God's will. What is the mystery? And now it has been revealed. It is, it is right here. It is Christ in you the hope of glory. The mystery that they're talking about is Christ. It's Jesus. That's the mystery. And what he did when he died and rose again, that is the mystery. And I think that we hopefully have established by now that Christ is for everyone. It's for everybody. Again, uh, in... I lost my spot. There, Galatians chapter 3 and verses 28 and 29, and I've read this one before, but I'm going to read it one more time because we are making sure that we have this established. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So hopefully by this point, we have established that Christ came for everybody. Now this was different than it was back in Jesus' time, in that they thought he only came for the Jews. But, but when Paul was called to teach, he was called to teach the Gentiles. And changing that paradigm that Christ was only for the Jews. Because he wasn't, came for everybody. He came for everybody here. He came for everybody in the world. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through. He still came for you. First Timothy verse or chapter one verses twelve through seventeen I'd like to read. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which, were in, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are, are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory for and ever and ever. Amen. If you ever wonder if God can use you, read the book, read, read the life of Saul and read what he came out of. Read what he used to be doing. God can take... God can take somebody like Saul and call him out of that, rename him Paul, and use him in exactly the opposite direction of what he was doing. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. It's awesome to read different places and different people that God has called and then used that we would think, that I would think would be next to impossible to do. But again, we don't serve a God that settles for things that are impossible. He can do anything. He's God of the impossible. Our job here is to provide truth from Scripture so that we are not ignorant or don't believe. You know, you can claim ignorance on a lot of things, but what I'm trying to do and what my heart here is to present truth so that when we have to make decisions, we can't say, well, I didn't really know what truth was. And I will keep sharing the truth here because we cannot continue to be ignorant to the things that are happening in our world today. We can't continue to be ignorant when we watch things that are happening that are not right and just ignore them. We can't claim ignorance. First Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 9. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. <clears throat> Paul, when he's writing Ephesians, he's, in, he's under house arrest. So he can't really go anywhere. He's got people watching him. He's still allowed to share with people that want to come there. But why is he under house arrest? He's under house arrest because he was preaching the gospel. Okay, so we can say, well, if he would have just not preached the gospel, he wouldn't have been under house arrest. All right, but the problem is if he doesn't preach the gospel, the people he's talking to now don't know who Jesus is. Zach was talking about uh, uh, manure used for fertilizer. Paul was willing to sacrifice his well-being, his life to present the gospel to people if he had known, would he have still done it? If you know something that's going to happen, whether good or bad, would you still do it? I like what it says in, in 2 Corinthians here. It says, <clears throat> none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They were trying to get rid of Jesus. They just wanted to get rid of him. 
And they thought they were getting rid of him. But what they really did was all part of God's plan. They crucified him, and then he rose again and offered and presented and gave salvation. Gave himself as the sacrifice and became salvation for us. Had they known what that was going to do, they would not have done that. But they didn't. And sometimes I, we, we, you know, we live our lives and we ask the Lord, hey, what do you want me to do? What's going to happen? What are we supposed to be doing? And he doesn't, he doesn't always show us very far in advance what's going to happen. Because if we knew what was going to happen, we wouldn't keep going. I don't know that I would. If I knew that I was facing something difficult in my life that was coming in the next couple of years, I probably wouldn't keep going. But God doesn't allow us to see these things because he takes these things that the enemy wants to use for evil. He takes these things that are painful and that are hard and we don't like and they're uncomfortable and he uses them to strengthen you and me. And I know everybody's been through something. Some things seem a lot worse than other things do, but it's all relative to who it is. And God will use these things that are in your life. If Paul doesn't preach the gospel, he stays out of jail. But the Ephesian people don't hear about Jesus. Let me tell you, it, it's worth it. It's worth it. If we think we might be facing some kind of persecution or trouble for sharing the gospel, I want to make up my mind right now that I will continue to do that regardless of what the, what the consequences might be. Because I know that if I have to make that decision when that time comes, I don't know what I, I hope I would still choose the same thing. But if I've already made that decision today, now, then hopefully that makes it easier then. I don't know if it will or not. But we're not there yet. We still have the opportunity to share the gospel with everybody anywhere that we go. We still have that opportunity. Back in Ephesians, <clears throat> verse 10 says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose by which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> God wants to use us, you and I, to share his wisdom, to share his purpose, to share who he is. The manifold wisdom to be made known by the church. Maybe a couple, about three of these things that I was thinking about is, one of them is uh, that nothing can separate us from God's love. This is one of the, some of the wisdom of God that we can share, that he wants the church, us, to share with the world. Nothing can separate us from his love. Another one, everything was created by him. Everything was created by him. And the last one is Christ is now seated at the right hand of God with everything being subject to him. So Jesus who came here and he died and he rose again and now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. Everything is subject to him. This is the manifold wisdom that God is asking us as the church to share with the world. Are we sharing it with the world? 
Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Are we willing to do something that's not comfortable, that we don't like, that we, we maybe wouldn't otherwise do? Because this is our calling while we're here, is to share the wisdom of Christ, is to share the gospel of Christ with a world around us that's looking for hope. Verse 12 in Ephesians 3 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul says, don't lose heart for the things that I'm going through. Don't be sad for me because I chose to do what I did so that you could have the privilege of hearing the gospel. That was for you. I did that for you. I didn't do it for you. I did it for Christ, but you benefited from that, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't have to go through a high priest. The system, the way that the law was set up is that you had to go through the priest if you wanted to do anything, any kind of sacrifice or any kind of offering or any kind of petition or request, whatever it was, had to go through the priests. But when Jesus came, he did away with that system and it was gone. And now we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't have to be shy. We don't have to be uh, uh, uncertain. We can approach the throne boldly. We can bring our requests. We can bring our praise. We can bring our worship directly to the Father. Use it. Do it. Use it. You don't have to go through somebody else. You can go straight to God. And he will hear. And he will listen. We know that he listens. Again, the difference is, is that our timing is a lot of times different than his timing. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't hear. Because we have access to the Father directly. Back to Ephesians, for this re verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do you, <clears throat> have you ever thought about the fact that there isn't anything that God can't do? There's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that's outside of his power. The God that we serve, the God that we worship, there's nothing that's outside of his power. 
He can do anything. But he wants to use you and I. He wants to, he wants to use us. He wants us to be available, to be vessels, to be tools, to be used by him. But he can do anything. He can do whatever he wanted to do. Why would he choose to want to use us? Are you or am I available to be used by God? Are we willing to step out to whatever the situation might be to be used by him? There's opportunity. If, you don't, if you're not seeing it, it's because you don't have your eyes open for it. Because there's opportunity all the time to be used by him. Let's stay connected with him through prayer. Ask him. Try this. If you haven't already, ask him. Lord, give me an opportunity today to share your love with somebody. Ask him. He'll do it. The question is whether we recognize it or not. And I know there's times that I have missed it. I've not recognized it. I've not seen it. And then later you look back and think, oh, man, I missed the opportunity. Don't worry. He'll provide another one. Continually working on our hearts. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There's a lot of things here on this earth that we can see, and we get to enjoy, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But the things that, are, that we can see here on this earth are temporary. The bodies we live in here on this earth are temporary. The houses we live in here, the church building we come to, the stores, that we, everything here, the cars that we drive, it's all temporary. And let's not set our sights on the things that are temporary, which is a lot easier to do because we can see them. But the eternal things, which are harder to see, harder to set our sights on because we can't see them. And we like to be able to see things. But that's where faith comes in. And that's where it takes faith to believe that what God's word says is true and that what God came, what Jesus came and did, did actually happen. And that's where it takes faith. But let's set our eyes on things that are eternal. Let's not get distracted or lose focus by the things that are temporary here on this earth that look good and they're flashy and they're fun and they're exciting. Let me tell you, you haven't seen exciting until you've been with God. I don't know what it's all going to look like, but I know it's going to be a lot better than what we have here. Are we striving for things we can see or are we striving for things that we can't see? And that's sometimes really hard to do. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. That is Jesus. Jesus is the head. Remember uh, earlier I said that... Um, He's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and everything 
is subject to him. Everything goes through him. Christ is the head. And I like the last verse here in Ephesians 3. Because I really, I, I really, I, I can't comprehend what this says. I can't, I can't fully understand what this says. And I don't know if I will until we get to heaven. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. See, just prior to that, it says that we need to learn if we can understand the, the, um, the love of Christ, if we can understand the height and the depth and the width and the length of Christ's love, which I don't think we fully will understand here. But hopefully every day and every week we're learning to understand a little bit more of it. But we serve a God who can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. So when I read that, I, you know, you can picture in your mind something that you think would be absolutely amazing to do, an experience that would be amazing, a place that you'd like to go or, or something that you would like to do, and you just picture, you know, these things cost a lot of money, they cost whatever it might be, it takes a long time to get somewhere. You picture whatever the best thing that you can think of here, and the God that we serve can do, and it doesn't just use one adjective to describe this, it uses a couple different ones. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It goes right back to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 that says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. The things that he has prepared, he's preparing a place for us in heaven. The things that he has prepared for us we can't fathom what that might be like. But to him who is able to do abundantly, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. I just want you to think about what that might possibly mean. We can't understand what that might be. Exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that we could think to ask or that we could even think. That's the God that we serve. That's what he's capable of. Of doing, And the interesting thing to me is always the fact that he likes to work through us. He likes to work through you. He likes to work through me if we will let him. We can't begin to understand the possibilities that come with serving God. It may not always be pretty. It may not always be fun. It may not always be comfortable. But we don't want to pitch our tent and just camp at one spot. Like Zach said, we want to keep moving. We want to keep learning. We want to keep understanding. We want to keep sharing Christ's love. Just because we did yesterday doesn't mean we don't have to today. It's every day. It's every day. And one last thing that I want to point out here in this last verse, and it says... Now to him who is able. He, Jesus, God, the God that we serve, the one that can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever think or ask or imagine, he is able to do that. Do you believe that he can do that? 
Do you believe that he is able? Do we live our lives believing that he is able to do what he says he can do? Are we willing, are we willing to pattern our lives in a way that shows the world that we believe that he is able? Stand up. We're going to get out a couple minutes early. But stand up with me, if you would. I don't know if anybody knows it, but do you remember the song, He is Able? That's all right. Well, we're not going to do it because I don't remember all of it either. There's a song that says he is able to do, the gist of it is, much more than we can think. It's an old song. It's been a long time since we've sang it. But it's just really amazing to me who God is. It's amazing to me the God that we serve and the fact that he wants to commune and converse with you and I. He does. He wants a relationship with us to accomplish something. Yeah, I almost have it. I should have looked it up, but it just came to me right now when I was talking. So we're not going to sing that. But we're going we're, we're gonna to close in prayer. If you would just uh, close your eyes and pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come here to encourage one another. Lord, to be challenged. And Lord, to, to feel your love. Lord, I just pray that you would bless each one that's here. I pray that you would guide our week. Lord, we do ask, help us to remember to to ask for opportunities to share your love with people. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And when we ask for these opportunities, help us also, also to remember that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever hope or imagine. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember that. I pray that you would guide our week, keep us safe, and we love you and just thank you so much for your love for us. In your name we pray, amen. Turn around, shake somebody's hand, and you can be dismissed.